dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I sit down with Ray Fister, the mastermind behind the Life Between the Vines podcast. Earlier in June, I had the privilege of attending a press trip to Abruzzo, Italy. During these trips, it seems like you always make a stronger connection with one or two people. And Ray and I met early on and honestly had a blast every time we got together. Then we were lucky enough to be on the same flight home, which helped make the 11-hour flight fly right by. If you enjoy exploring the wine glass, I'd appreciate you giving me some love by taking two minutes out of your day to write up a review on whatever app you listen on. It is truly the best way to support the show. Slancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. I am your host, Lori. I am a UC Davis winemaking graduate a champagne specialist, a Cote de WSET level two, and getting really, really close to testing for the wine span, uh, for the Spanish wine scholar. So please keep your fingers crossed for me because I am a nervous wreck about it. But today I have a very special guest with me, Ray Fister, and we met in Abruzzo. And I'd say we kind of hit it off. I had a great time meeting him and spending a lot of time with him. So we thought we'd carry it on over and, you know, learn about how he does what he does in the wine world. So welcome, Ray. Thanks very much, Larry. Good to see you again. And uh, once again, just it was a great trip. It was a pleasure to meet you and a lot of fun chatting with you and great hanging out. Yeah, I had a blast talking to you. Every time I, every time like I would turn around and you would be there, I'd be, yay, fun conversation. <laughs> yay. That's very kind of you. Same here. It's nice when you find somebody you can relate to. And when you're in a trip with so many people you don't know, you know, it's a cool thing. Right. Absolutely. I agree. So we're going to talk about what you do in the wine world. But before that, I, you know, I kind of went a little off kilter a bit because, you know, I found out you grew up in Cleveland. I have to start off with, you know, kind of a little, you know, rubbing or whatever, but like, you know, Major League, you're a Cleveland Indians fan, right? So the movie Major League, you know, how did that, you know, that rub you the wrong way? Could you laugh at it? (laughs) Did you not see uh, the movie? Oh, no, I've seen it many okay. times. In fact, uh, ironically, the film was mostly shot here in Milwaukee, where I live now, right. if you can believe that. Uh, part of the problem was is that Cleveland Stadium, the old stadium, was seated about 84,000 people. Milwaukee Stadium sits, seats about maybe 45, maybe 50. So it's easier to shoot in a smaller stadium because it would have been more difficult to make it look full. Well, right. And uh, the scheduling didn't work as well, as I understand it, that there was a game scheduled and it did, there's just no way they were going to make it work. So uh, it's a funny movie. Uh, <laughs> and it's a team that has struggled. I mean, I grew up watching them and, and 
you know, it's ironic. A couple of years later, they went to the series twice in uh, 95 and 97, lost both those years. And then against the Cub a couple of few years ago, lost that year too. But, uh, you, <laughs> but you hold, you hold no, no grudges, nothing like that. <laughs> oh no, no. I, I actually had a few friends who worked on the film and they were shooting it when I just moved here. So, uh, and being in the production biz, a couple of friends of mine were doing sound for it. So they were like, hey, you know, they're making a movie about Cleveland here. I'm like, what? Why would they do that to Milwaukee? So, uh, nah, totally cool. I, You know, if you can't make fun of yourself, life's a drag. I agree. I agree. And you know what? As a, as a Mets fan, there's a lot oh. to be made fun of. So. <laughs> How did you become a Mets fan? Well, I'm from Jersey. So, oh. you know. Originally from Jersey, so became a Mets fan. Uh, really big time, big time to this day, even though he's gone off the rails. Lenny Dykstra, he was my man. Oh, I wow. I loved him. And in fact, when I followed him on Twitter and he followed me back, it was a very happy day. It wow. was. I was and he actually still follows me and talks to me. So yeah, it's not just wow. yeah, I'm pretty, you know. The na- nails, I absolutely love him. Love him because you, you, he played like a lunatic. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's how I felt. You know, I felt look at look at this. Letty Dykstra followed me and actually interacts with me. So, well, you know, you know when it comes to baseball, hero worship's pretty easy. I mean, again, I I can think of the players I grew up with as a kid, and uh, you know, there was a time we followed around in the nineties when the Indians were doing really well. We'd followed around my family. We together we'd go to see him in Detroit. We'd see him. In Cleveland, we see him here, and we'd see him in Toronto even, because it wasn't yeah. so hard to get around all these places. And uh, now they're the Guardians. So I know. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. you know it is what it is. I I I I'm not a Native American, so I can't be offended by it. But on the other hand, I totally understand how people would be. The name Guardians has a similarity to it. It it does relate to the city of Cleveland, if you know the story. It's a very no. Cool I was going to ask you that. Uh, there's a bridge called the Hope Memorial Bridge that okay. spans across the uh, the river, the Chicago River in downtown Cleveland. And I don't know if you knew this, but Bob Hope is from Cleveland. And he, his dad worked on the Hope Memorial Bridge. And on the four corners of the bridge, there are these giant sandstone sculptures, towers, that have these incredible characters that are called guardians. Mm-hmm. Each one of them is in there in its hands is holding a... Uh, uh, a manner of uh, of travel of not travel of uh, you know what am I trying to see what to say what's the word a, a vehicle of some sort and oh, okay. anyway so Bob Hope's dad worked on that bridge and so somewhere along the line somebody said hey Guardians kind of sounds like Indians so that's basically how, how it happened oh, a lot right. of from to go back to the late 1800s to when they used to be called the Cleveland Spiders but I think too many people saw that as being creepy. <laughs> well, I couldn't, I just can't get guardians of the galaxy out of my head. So <laughs> when they went to guardians, that that's where I went. But um, I actually love Cleveland. Uh, my husband and I went to go visit and, you know, a, there was gambling. So it was good. B Christmas story, you know, yeah. like that's just awesome. You know, we walked to the Christmas story house, did that thing, you know, and see, a lot of breweries. Like, what's not to love about Cleveland, in my opinion? <laughs> Fun town. I miss it terribly. I've lived yeah. here for about 33, 34 years. I'll be going back to Cleveland, in fact, next week on Wednesday or Thursday uh, to see family. 
Certainly. Um, I love my hometown, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Milwaukee is my adopted town and I'm cool with it and I like it here. But I like getting back. To me, it, it is hand in glove. I go back there and everything is so familiar. I've been gone so long. It doesn't matter. I just. It, instant it, home, instant memories. It really is. Yeah, it, it is a big deal to go back. And plus the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, man. I mean, Oh, on. that's right. I for, How can I forget that? Right. right. I'm a charter member, man. 19, ever since, what was it? What year did it open? 94? Can't even remember. I think it was 94 or 95. But yeah. 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 We went in um, and they had a huge, I don't know if it's a permanent display or not, but the Pink Floyd display, it was like a whole room dedicated to the wall. It's like, oh my God, we had a blast there. It was, it was a great, we, we recommend it to everybody. Like, you know, you what go amazes there. me about it, uh, and I was very lucky some years ago, I knew the original president. Uh, my niece was friends with him. I, his last name was Stuart, and I'm blanking on his first name. And he was just a super, super nice guy. And got to see some of his personal collection. But what they do, would, what blows me away is, again, I've been a member for so long. I get back to Cleveland a couple of times a year. I go every time I'm back and they change things with such regularity. And it just like, how do you do that? And there was one thing they had a while ago. It was really cool. It was rock and roll pinball machines. They had a whole separate room set up with all these different, you know, oh, wow. they had rolling stones, pinball machine. There was a, a kind of a fakeish Beatles pinball. These were all genuine old machines. They had a kiss pinball machine. It was really neat. And they had <laughs> little hall of fame tokens you could use to play, but they always do neat things. So right now they have the, uh, the Beatles get back exposition. Oh. And, uh, you can't see it behind me, but I have a lot of Beatles stuff. Oh, Beatles fan. Kind of, right. I'm kind of, you know, I'm more of a diseased collector than. A fan. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I yeah. think the hall of fame is a definite must in, in my opinion, you know, and, but it makes sense that you love it because you're also a musician, right? So what, what instruments do you play? Well, by trade, I'm a drummer, uh, which still qualifies me to be a, drum, a musician. Um, I play some guitar. You can see in the back, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I use that mostly for writing and for I don't, I don't play it on stage in front of people. I played in bands all my life. I'm in a band again now and uh, play a little bass and I play a little keyboard. But those are more for writing and, and recording that kind of stuff. Uh, drums I play in front of people and embarrass myself at every opportunity. <gasps> I learned to play the drums when I was in eighth grade. Really? Never. Yep. Never went, never did band or anything like that. Just, I thought it was cool to learn how to play the drums. So. Well, I think there's a primal thing that comes with it, you know, and (laughs) I'm what's the old, you know, saying you kind of walk along the ground drummers walk along and you could see their knuckle, knuckle scrape marks on their knuckles and bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's fun to be a drummer. All right. And so, all right. So let's get into the heart and soul of Explore the Wine Glass and let's talk some wine. So absolutely. how did you fall in love with wine? So what's your origin story? It's a funny story. A long time ago, when I was married to my first wife, her and her brother, who was a very good friend of mine at the time, the family all drank this stuff called Kanai. Do you remember that at all? No, you might be too young for that. Kanai. Yeah, there was a, it was a red and a white is some kind of an Italian-ish cheap wine. And they used to have these commercials, you know, they're all based on sex, you know, where you'd hear a voiceover going, can I, 
Well, we drank this stuff and it wasn't bad. And then, you know, like many people, I evolved, if you will, or devolved into white Zinfandel and good old Behringer and all that stuff. And then eventually I started trying reds, specifically Cabernet, and I became a waiter and I got to try a lot more in terms of variety and fell in love with just about everything I tried, got into whites, which was nice. And I loved being able to sell wine in the restaurant. It was fun to be able to turn people on to things. So you just kind of learn from there, mostly because you want to make a couple extra bucks and tips if possible. And uh, we also had a great manager on Saturday nights. He'd have a contest. Whoever had the highest tab for the night would get a free bottle. So oh. <laughs> I had to make money. So that's what I did. So I got a lot of, a lot of free wine back then. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's a lot of people I've interviewed that have gotten into the wine industry through working at a restaurant, being a waiter or something like that. And it's just the exposure uh, to to the juice, basically, right? Because if you don't have that outlet somewhere for somebody to teach you something, you're pretty much just going to a grocery store and grabbing whatever there is. And so you need somebody to kind of nurture you into the right direction. Yeah. Well, and, and funny you should mention that because sometime after that, I ended up working at a grocery store and I ran the beverage aisle, which meant I ran the wine too. And man, that was a great way to learn about it because we carried everything. There was no specialty. You know, we a lot of Italian wines, we had the typical jug wines, but we'd have, uh, you know, the Fumé Blanc and uh, all that kind of stuff. So you learn about it just from that. You don't necessarily get to try it maybe once in a great while, you know, unless you buy it. But it's a fun road. That's, you know, for me, just being able to try something new, something new, something new, something you haven't tried. Just again, like our trip to Abruzzo. I've had those wides for years. I've loved Montepulciano di Abruzzo. And to be there and try that wine was just fantastic. Uh, the worst thing... I think for anybody is to not want to try a wine. I think it's sad when somebody says, no, I don't drink that. And right. uh, it's a shame because you really want to, here, take this wine. Yeah, right. I mean, what what's the worst case scenario? You know, you don't like it and you dump it, What you know, but it's something that you can experience and say, oh, you know what? Wow, I do like this. And I didn't know that I did. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, years ago, I never drank sparklers to any great degree other than the usual celebratory type thing. And now I love them, you know, and pet gnats. I'm crazy about pet gnats. So, and I found some people making some really good stuff. A little plug for Elkhorn Peak. Thank you very much. And uh, also for, um, uh, so 3,100 sellers in Idaho. Sorry, sorry. Oh, didn't mean to okay. Note there. But, um, you know, you, you try these because you get curious, but it's an interesting thing in my travels. And I don't know if you're the same way. I'm personally, myself, a very picky eater, very picky eater. So when I <laughs> You've been off, with me. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. And that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And on these trips, man, I'm trying everything. I mean, it was a, this, the first night dinner we had where there was the snails, which I'd never had snails before. There were tiny ones and they were good. And the mussels, I'm a muscle freak anyway. So, but there are other things I hadn't tried that almost everything was really good in that regard. So it's the same thing with wine. Um, I want to discover different wines. I just had a bottle of wine, a very inexpensive one from uh, Georgia recently. And I was like, man, this is a great deal. This is great wine, good price. Is it a top shelf wine? No, but it was very good. 
Well, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, well, what, what wine should I buy? You know, what price should I pay for a wine? And my comment to them is, you know what? It's all about what you like. And quite honestly, if you love two buck Chuck, then more power to you because you're enjoying the evening for two buck is now three bucks, I think. But, you know, like it's what you enjoy and that, you know, that's why I say, I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. You know, I want you to learn, but I'm never going to tell you don't drink that or don't drink that or, you know, or you must like this wine, you know? Right. I mean, it's just, you know, in my tasting group, we always try and bring something out different. And half the time, almost every time we get together, we're like, that was really something. And it's something I never tried before. Well, there you go. That was worth the price of admission right there. I just did a tasting the other night. I point down there because it was right down there. uh, I'm in our upper level here. And it was, it was with a a number of people who are not used to wine tastings, Uh, had not been to a number of wine tastings. It was a favor for a friend and they, their minds opened up to a number of things. You know, I would start with a sparkler and a number of them are kind of like, but they tried it. One woman said, I could drink this all night. So it's accomplished, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's a good feeling too. I always get, I get happy when I introduce something to somebody and they're like, oh, you know, this is, I would have never thought to try this. And I really like it. You know, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it is. It's, it, you feel like you've done, you have done something good for somebody. Right. But it was done for me too, a long time ago when people suggested it to me. So it's a little bit of the pay it forward thing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now you extend that through um, your life between the vines. So tell us about life between the vines. First of all, I love the name. So how did you come up with the name? That's a funny story. I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) Well, when I started it, which was in 2000, well, in 2007, we did a fact finding tour. Uh, uh, My former partner, to Napa. I've been there a number of times before that, but this is when we were percolating this particular idea. And one of my favorite wines at the time was Paradox, which is a duckhorn wine. Mm-hmm. And they had just opened up their tasting room. It was brand new. They hadn't had one before. It's right on Silverado Trail. And my partner's name is Jeff. And uh, we decided we were going to call it Paradox instead of Paradox. <laughs> for who we were so we were at the winery visiting and you know just asking questions to the people there what they thought about podcasts and all that and so we were done i said well hey jeff let me take a picture of you stand over there between the vines (gasps) wait a minute and so the name changed and we found out that the actual between the vines was being used by a, a woman's craft site don't ask me where the between the vines came from but i had just released my first solo cd it was called life on the mainland. So I kind of combined them and called it life between the vine. It just made sense because that's exactly what it is. That's where winemakers spend a good portion of their time. Absolutely. So we we did that. Uh, My partner left after the first year, my business partner left after the first year. So I carried on by myself, plus with my interns helping out. Now we are the longest running wine podcast online, longest running wine podcast and newsletter, I should say, just to be clear. The only one I knew that was longer, lasted longer, was uh, Grape Radio, which they folded up a year or two ago, which was too bad because I thought they were a good uh, competitor in that area. So, yeah, we, I took it from there and just started mining as many people as I could and got to know a lot of people in the process. Am I going 
too long here? <laughs> no, no. I was going to say, cause I mean, like you were really ahead of the, ahead of the curve, like really, you know, podcasting was not the, you know, the fast track there when back in 2007. So, I mean, just you're, you're one of the oldest, you're the oldest wine podcast, but like, you're probably one of the longest running podcasts in general. That I don't know, but when it comes to old, I can, I can attest to that. (laughs) You know, part of it was this, I listened to some that were happening and I didn't like the way they sounded. I didn't like the approach people were taking, but for me, everybody who loves wine like you is passionate about it. We have this thing that God knows if it's in our DNA or whatever. So my main profession as a, my professionally, I'm an audio engineer. I run a commercial studio in Milwaukee that's coming up on 25 years old and I've been doing it for 44 years. And I thought, geez, I could blend these two things together it'd be a lot of fun. And that's exactly what happened. And the very first interview I did was with Jeff Bunchuk, uh, Gunlock Bunchu in Sonoma. And <laughs> not a bad fun. start. <laughs> no, no, not bad at all. And what was fun about Jeff is that he was in town doing a tasting and uh, my uh, partner and I went to the tasting and had a lot of fun chatting with him and said, hey, look, do you got any time tomorrow? Can you come by the studio? We're real close to the restaurant. You know, and he said, well, you know, I can give you a half hour and it's great. That'd be fantastic. So I got him in the booth and an hour and a half later, I mean, he just, he just talked and had so much fun and we laughed so hard. And then he also gave me a number of great connections to a number of wonderful people, people, Mimi Gaydens, if you're out there, you're one of those wonderful people <laughs> that were really helpful in establishing more inroads to winemakers who were, who were phenomenal. You know, I got to interview Mike Gergich. That was uh, in wow. Yeah, that was great fun. Uh, he's an interesting character and a number of other fun people. So uh, it was just that start to find the people that you saw as kind of the heroes of the industry. And I, I've never met a dull winemaker. I mean, they're all nutballs. We're great. all insane. That's it. Exactly. You are insane. I've said this whole idea of wanting to make wine and make a living out of it, or at least partial living. That's a ridiculous challenge, you know? It was like last night, the other night at this tasting, I was explaining, explaining the whole concept of buying a piece of property, putting, putting the vines in the ground. And if you're doing something like Cabernet seven years later, give or take, you know, you're maybe able to make your first payment to the bank. And of course it doesn't happen that way, but it, it's a scary thing to do. So kudos to you, really. I mean that very sincerely. It is a very long turnaround time. <laughs> it is a yes, very long yes, turnaround time. But so, if you guys didn't do it, we'd have nothing to drink. That is true. That is true. We try, you know, we try to turn those moments into great memories. You know, you need a bottle of great wine with it. But- well, and you know, just a quick aside, there was a recent article where one of my heroes, David Ramey, who I also regard as a friend, uh, uh, made that very statement about being with people being one of the most important elements to wine is, and we've all talked about this. You sit there and you're, whether it be a Pinot, whether it be a Chard, and after an hour or two, all of a sudden, man, this is different. This is changing. And it's a gas. You're just yeah. loving that. So that's a big part of it, I think. It is a living thing. It evolves in that glass, definitely evolves. And it's tied to so many, you know, other stipulations, you know, you think good and bad, but like you think, um, 
Yeah, we we went to a wine trip and I will not say the region, but we went to a wine trip and you know, everybody was super nice and it was very kind of early on for us and we just had a good time on the trip. Like it was just a fun trip and we brought back quite a bit of wine and then when we got home, we tasted the wine and we were like, oh, "Why did we buy this?" What? Why do we, you know, like, oh, you know, and those, those bottles kind of got given away to other people or whatever. Um, so like the atmosphere in which you're tasting the wine, the people that you're with, all of this adds to, you know, the dynamics of what that wine, what that wine is. And, you know, it's kind of like a sponge somewhat in that, you know, a bottle of wine can just absorb everything that's outside of it, you know, as you're consuming it. And as it's in your glass, it's absorbing the conversation. It's absorbing the food. It's absorbing the laughter, everything that's going on. And all of those trigger memories when you, you know, for a later time and, you know, it all ties back to that bottle. I completely agree. It It is that connection that that people love yeah. and remember. I mean, many people remember their first time. I can remember actually one of my very first wine tastings. I, I did a road rally and this was, gosh, it was back in the seventies where it ended at a winery. And it was just, a, it was just all this group of people. It was a crazy rally and uh, it was just fun. So yeah. there you go. And it's, it's a memory that brings back happiness, you know, and, you know, leads to further exploration of the, of wine in different avenues. So it's always, always evolving in the bottle, in the glass and in your, in your mind to get you to learn more. Right. Right. And in the beginning, you know, when I first started going out West to Napa, other than wineries in my home state of Ohio, there's some great, you know, being made in North, uh, Northeast Ohio, um, going to different wineries and then visiting Napa and Sonoma. And then of course you become a maniac and start joining every wine club you can think of joining. That <laughs> um, I, I belong to what is now Inglenook, which used to be Nibam Coppola, Coppola, then became Rubicon. And I actually stayed with them for 10 years and earned myself a, a 12 bottle chiller, which was really like, wow, they sent that to me. Wow. Yeah, that's still down in the cellar with the, my other chillers. So uh, did I say chillers? Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was really uh, a very cool thing to do because it, it did make you want to hang in there. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, I, I think I left after finally 12 years, but uh, it was you got your very... chiller and ran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it was, you know, the nice perk. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So of all of these winemakers that you've done, because I think you're what, 400 and some odd episodes for coming up on 500, but I've been 500. Yeah, but I've interviewed over 1200 winemakers. So, so 1200 winemakers, right? Because some of your episodes have multiple wine, winemakers, like in Abruzzo, you spoke to several people. Um, yeah. Who, who is if you're comfortable saying like who stands out the most in your brain for just a fun person, you know, just a laugh a minute type person that stands out in your brain is, yeah, that was a good, funny interview. That was a lot of fun. There's not enough time <laughs> in the beginning. And still to this day, 
you know, because I'm traveling to do these interviews, obviously during COVID, I had to put that off for a while. I would do an interview, I'd pack my gear up, and then I'd sit there in the car and I'd go, I'm not going to do another one like that again. That was just that was just phenomenal. Then I would go on to another interview and it was even better. And it continued that way. Not to get into a side story, but there was time I was in Sonoma years ago. I had three interviews or four scheduled for the day. It was four. And the last was at a restaurant, two wonderful people. Uh, for those who might remember a Zazu restaurant and farm, which unfortunately does not exist anymore. John Stewart and Dusky Estes. And they were my final interview that day. And I was bushed. I, and I was a it was a reasonable drive to get to there from where I was at. And I was just tired. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, and I get there and they had had a rough night because uh, the night before their phone service went out. So they couldn't process credit cards, which really hurt bad. And they were dealing with that as well as doing a sit down interview with, with me, which they did even under those circumstances. And I remember a third of the way into the interview, the phone guy showed up and <laughs> Dusky was on him fast. <laughs> we had a great interview. I sat at the bar at the end of the night. I had a fabulous meal, talked to some fabulous people. And I left there on a high. It was just like, man, I get to do this. This is crazy. So, you know, there's a lot of people... You know, one of my closest friends in Napa is a guy named Henrik Paulson. He makes a wine called Release, and he's worked for a number of different wineries. One of my favorite people to talk to, uh, a winemaker he worked with, Sean Hufflicker. I know, John, I probably got it wrong again. Uh, great guy. Jean-Charles Bosset, one of my favorite, just a maniac, wonderful guy to hang out with, and a huge supporter of the podcast, uh, just in terms of uh, spreading the word. I mean, there's just so many people I could go on. Uh, David Ramey, one of the nicest and funniest guy. He just cracks me up. Pam Starr, Crocker and Starr. Mm -hmm. I think you and I talked about her. Yeah. Pam, it just, she's just rock solid. She's hilarious. And she'll tell you the truth, which is something I really admire. So, And that's un almost unfair to name these people because there's so many fun people. Right. This is what kept keeps me doing it is I enjoy every interview and I've gone back and many of them I've interviewed a second or third time. And I'm, it wasn't much. The only regret I have is not getting Robert Mondavi. Uh, oh. I started the year he died and oh. I know that I would have gotten an interview with him without any question. Cause he was so geared towards, you know, the press and, and publicity, but I have got to interview his granddaughter, Carissa Mondavi several times. Okay. And Carissa's just, She's just one of the nicest people I've ever met. She's got his eyes, which is amazing. And she's just a, a very sweet person to talk to. And that's Continuum Winery. Wonderful stuff. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. And now a word from our sponsor. Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous. So we decided he deserved to be our wine club spokesdog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites. And we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. 
Choose between three tiers. The Sweet 16, where you'll receive three bottles twice a year and get 25% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 30% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year. Or make it to the Final Four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 35% off all purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to your bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinawines.com or the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stopped the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. It's interesting. So when you decide... You want to interview somebody. So th- this is what I've learned. When I first started the podcast, I would be like, oh, I can't, I can't ask that person. Like, this is a rock star to me. You know, yeah. I can't, I can't ask this person. And then like, I don't know, you get, you get, you get the balls to ask or whatever. And then they're like the nicest, the nicest people. And they're like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then all I want to do is make it worthy of their time or whatever. So like when you first started almost 500 episodes again, were you nervous about asking people to interview them? Like, did you think like, not so much, but like, I'm not worthy of their time. They're not going to want to waste their time with me. And then how do you feel now? Like, are you like, yeah, come bring it on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I don't ever want to be jaded. That would be a curse. Um, I'll say this much, you know, this is kind of an irony for me is that when I was in college, which I did not finish, I was a journalism major, which is ironic because one of the things I had to do was, you know, go to places in the school like the cafeteria or whatever and do cold interviews with people. And when I was in college, I'm very proud to say I got to interview Alan Arkin, which was wonderful and great because it was very hard to get a question in because there were other major reporters in the room and I was not a major reporter. So you just develop kind of a thing about asking questions. I'm sure you're the same way. And maybe it's a little bit of a wall at first. So when I started, yeah, there's a bit of it. I think at events, it's a little harder to, to get started, like at Premier Napa Valley, uh, which I've been to about a dozen times. Um, I, uh, I, I, you really got to kind of get out there and go. And once you go, you it's like going down a slide. You just don't stop. You go from barrel to barrel to barrel and seeing old friends, which is the best part of it. Uh, that's, you know, I never imagined I'd make friends out of these people and that's exactly what's happened. So uh, I think, I think there's butterflies like anything else, but I'll, the best comparison I can give you is being a drummer and I've played on stage since I was 15 I still deal with a certain degree of what I like to call politely paralyzing stage fright. <laughs> and it doesn't compare because I'm very comfortable talking to these people, but you know, it's you're a people person and I am too. And you got to be that because um, you want to make it fun for them. So they'll maybe talk to you again and you got to be sincere. I mean, that's the bottom line is if you're asking, you know, what's your favorite color and you do like dogs or cats, <laughs> It's no fun. Right. Cool. Our questions that, that they've gotten asked 50,000 times. It's the same, you know, the same question. I mean, I always do start off with the origin story, which every winemaker has been asked every single interview, yeah, but right. 
the people who are listening to, to my podcast don't know their origin story. So, so we try, you know, you, you try to come up with different angles that are your personality to their personality. But so what is your procedure? So let's say you want to go interview somebody for, you know, uh, life between the vines. You want to, inter- are you sending them an email? Are you scheduling it? Are you like, I'm going to wing this and just go in and get in their face. How, how do you handle it? <laughs> or all of the above? <laughs> well, at events, I wing it because I'm there with, I mean, you saw me in Italy. I've got my monopod. I've got my microphone recorder. Um, you know, hello, how you doing? So, and I'm comfortable with that. I really, that's adrenaline insanity for me. Uh, but generally most of my interviews are set up by email and occasionally through PR people. I've dealt with some fantastic PR firms, Jarvis Communications, Jam PR, a number of different people. Sorry, folks. I'm sure I left a few hundred off there that are real helpful, but I also know other people and winemakers who become friends will say, Hey, have you talked to so-and-so? Hey, have you talked to so-and-so? Well, Hey, you can contact them here or I'll, I'll give you an intro, which is a huge uh, it's a compliment that they'd be willing to put themselves out there for me going out there. Cause God knows what I could say. So that's part of it. I do at this point get a fair amount of PR people contacting me that I've never worked with before, especially over COVID because people were looking mm. for publicity like mad. So I was getting a lot of that and I still do, which is nice. Uh, in fact, I've got one coming up tomorrow. I'm trying not to do phone interviews. I'm trying to do go back to in-person interviews, but uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. So yeah, that's most of it. Yeah, it's more word of mouth. Or when I do these events, like Premier or Auction at the Valley or the Sonoma Auction or the Pinot Auction up in Willamette Valley, I just say, hey, you know, I would love to come back and meet with you another time and do an interview. And, you know, of course, they're always going to say, yeah, because they like to chat and it works out good. It's a fairly simple process. It's not too complicated. The key is timing. Mm -hmm. If they're on the road, obviously harvest can be a challenge, although I've lucked out a few times. Timing is a big deal. And is it difficult for you being in in Milwaukee? Like, you know, being from Jersey and literally right over the river from New York, when I was there, it was a lot easier for me to get to wine events and to do interviews of, you know, you know, the great match, the Spain wines or, you know, the the Abruzzo who was doing, they were in New York right after we came back home, you know, like it was a lot easier for me to get these interviews, winging those interview type things by going to these events in New York. But here it's a lot more difficult for me because, you know, I'm traveling three hours one way or four hours another way to get to where the events are. I mean, is that, is Milwaukee, do you get events there that you can go to and meet lots of winemakers at a single time? I'm going to make the joke that I make all the time. Not only do we do we get events, but we also have indoor plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do a fair amount. In fact, I've lucked out with a number of really great winemakers. We have a winemaker from Pim, well, one of the family members from Pim Ray a while ago come through. I mean, Summerston, Jeff Bunchu. So yeah, I'll just keep an eye on restaurants, high-end restaurants that do wine meals, that kind of thing. And then I'll just jump in and send the winery an email saying, hey, I understand, you know, as an example, Jeff is coming into town. Can we set up an interview? And it's just a matter of getting them to answer those because you don't always, some people will disregard 
things like that. The Chicago is 92 miles from downtown Milwaukee. I live now a little south of Milwaukee. I'm literally two miles from the train station, two stops to the loop. So Um, there's a lot of events down there uh, on a regular basis. In fact, I um, just had two of them. One was for Piedmont uh, and uh, the other was something else before that. And I unfortunately couldn't get to either one of them because I was already scheduled for something else. But I get down there pretty regular and man, it's just so nice to hop on the train, especially with it being so close by and just hump the gear down there, get the interviews in and come on back home. And now a word from our sponsor. Looking to be in the know about Dracaena wines? Want to be the first to know about our new releases and special offers? All you need to do is sign up for our newsletter. There is no commitment necessary, and I promise you we won't spam your mailbox with loads of messages. Need another reason to sign up? Quite possibly the best reason? You'll immediately get a discount code for 10% off your first purchase and be privy to newsletter-only discounts. Let Dracaena Wines turn your moments into great memories. Visit our website, www.dracaenawines.com, or use the link in show notes to sign up. It will take you less than a minute, but the rewards will last a lifetime. It's not too bad. I prefer, you know, I one time before COVID, I was in Napa about, about four to five times a year. Wow. And, but it was, that's like anything else is you, you know, you develop the relationships that way. And it's Sonoma as well. I mean, I get there as much as I can too. you know, drifted into Willamette Valley, trying to get up to Finger Lakes. I have some people in Idaho I want to see because I think I told you about them making some really amazing wine in Idaho. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, they're doing a great job up there. It's, and, it's really hard. And I've interviewed plenty of Wisconsin winemakers as well. There's probably about six or seven that I've talked to on a regular basis. Heck, even a while ago, I live on a horse farm. My, my uh, girlfriend is a horse trainer. And it's a really fun place. And we had a neighbor that lives about a mile away as the crow flies. <laughs> and uh, he was picking up some of our manure because we have a lot of manure. Let me tell you, folks, you need manure. We got some. <laughs> My girlfriend tells me, hey, this guy, Chuck, he's a, he's a home winemaker. You know, why don't you interview him? And I'm like, why not? You know, I'm not a snob. So I went over his place and the guy, he and his wife are like both green thumb people. They they grow everything you can imagine. Most incredible amount of, of uh, cherry tomatoes I've ever seen. And he's got two rows of whites and two rows of reds. And we did a great interview and he doesn't sell it. He makes it for himself. He uh, gave me a bottle of his white and I was like, wow, this is a darn fine white. I was very impressed by it. So, you know, kind of falls into that don't ever be a snob category mm-hmm. when we're talking about tasting different things. So overall, no, it's 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 not that hard. And whenever I go back to Ohio, I'm hoping to grab one or two interviews if I have the time when I go back, but uh, it just depends. I think what you get established, you know, to me, the biggest ego trip is, is when you say, hi, I'm Ray from Life Between the Vines. Oh, I've heard of Life Between the Vines. I'm like, oh, thank you. I know. I in Abruzzo, we went to a winery, and the the winemakers there were walking under the Perals, and uh, which is the wrong name because they don't call it Perals in in uh, Italy. But he was like, "Oh, Lori," and I'm like, 
yeah. He's like, I know you. I've Googled you and I listen to you and I read what you do. I was like, oh my God, you know, like in Italy, you like, there's all of these people here that I'm with that write and do all that. But he singled me out, you know, to, you know, and I was like, wow. And that, that was, that was a moment. That was a moment. And that, that was like on my personal Facebook page. I was like, the moment you're in Italy and a winemaker yeah. <laughs> like recognizes you, know, you, you know, and I didn't even deal. have my name tag on. So he really did. Oh, that's know. even better. Yeah. Well, it must have been the red hair. That's <laughs> I might stand out a little. <laughs> You know, it's funny, though, because, again, when I was young in college, when you wrote for the newspaper, you didn't think you never paid any attention to if anybody read your stuff. You just never thought about it. You didn't write for Eagle. You wrote because you wanted to write. And when anybody ever said, hey, I read your article, you'd look at them going like, are you kidding me? You really read that? So not to take away from what I do or from what you do, but you see numbers about how many people follow you or how many people liked your videos. And they're numbers. They're not people. So when somebody says something to you like that, it, it is a great compliment because it's nice to know people are following, people are seeing it, and it's it it makes everything you do worthwhile, just like it is when you finish a, a great interview. Right. And now, when you started Life Between the Vines, did you did you envision it going as well? <laughs> as it did like did you did you go yeah i'm gonna start this and 15 years later 14 14 14 years later did you think it would still be going at that point boy that's a really good question i'm kind of strong minded so i think in my head i was gonna go till i drop I never thought it would be as successful as it's become because you know like you said the the Podcasts were the wild, wild west back then. So uh, you know, I, I just wanted to keep doing it. That's all I knew and, and still feel because uh, it's fun. It is fun. It is fun. And then yeah. like, you know, when, like you said, when somebody says something to you, like, oh, I listened to Life Between the Vines or how about, how about when somebody calls out a very specific episode? Yeah, yeah. that's the best. I've had people quote lines from winemakers back to me. I'm like, wow, you really <laughs> did listen. That's, I guess, you hope to think, like anybody who does anything that goes out in the public, you hope you make a difference. Uh, you know, I taught audio production for about four, four, four and a half years. And you hope that one student stays and makes a living, or I have had tons of interviews at my, or inter- interns at my studio over the years. And you always hope that one of them will go through. Well, actually, a number of them are still in the business, which makes me very happy. So um, it's the same kind of thing. You know, you, you people are listening. I got to keep doing this. I got to keep informing people. I think the key, the key though, goes back to your comment before about questions. Um, to come up with interesting, unusual questions uh, without stealing from other people, other interviewers, uh, you know, you really want to be as original as you can. For me, it's a conversation just like you and I are having, less of a severe Q&A, more of a chatting back and forth. But I will freely admit that I take a great deal of my voice out of the podcasts because people really aren't listening, aren't interested in hearing what I have to say. They want to hear what the winemaker has to say. And I'm totally down with that. Yeah, I noticed that in the uh, YouTube videos that it's a lot of words like we asked the winemakers, blah, blah, blah. 
And then it was just clips of, um, I was watching uh, earlier today, the one from, I think, 2020 uh, Napa. That was how you did it. It's like, I didn't hear your voice at all. It was, we asked this, and then it was all of the interviews. Yeah, funny enough, the only one that uh, I've put my voice in recently was Abruzzo because, you know, Abruzzo is a bit more of a challenge um, because you don't know who spoke good English and you don't want to embarrass anybody. And I am like so many Americans, I will speak in my ignorant slang and not realize maybe they don't understand me and I want to be respectful. And I find Italian people some of the most humble and sweet people. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood, so I have a great appreciation for Italians. And so I had to include it on this Abruzzo video because it, it made sense. And believe me, I fight myself on that. But no, for other videos, it's all, you know, uh, a graphic. I talk. You hear me. You listen to my podcast. You hear me. Yeah. yeah. I, as, you know, I, as I told you, I'm a Sagittarius. I like the spotlight, yeah. you know. <laughs> there you go. You know, everybody has to do their own thing. I I think at the beginning when I heard a number of them were podcasts where people were just chatting about things other than wine, that's the kind of stuff that didn't do anything for me. You know, uh, years ago, a Sonoma winemaker whose name is escaping me right now invited me to do an interview with him, Turn the Tables. And he oh. dove right into wine right away. And it was a really fun interview to talk about it. You know, everyone's different. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to bring down what other people do, but this is just how I go about it, I guess. Well, you know? that's, I mean, and that's why I'm asking you because you're my guest. And that's what I want to know is how you do things, how you see them. You know, that's, you know, that's what we care about is how you do them. And with, with Life Between the Vines being such a rock solid, um, you know, and it, it is a podcast, but you do the videos, you do everything. So it's kind of like an all eclipsing entity to itself. I know I need more sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, yeah, it's a lot of stuff and there's a newsletter that goes out with it and it's a lot of stuff. (laughs) You got it. I don't know how you find the time because, as you said, you also still have the full time job. And I'm sure you're doing something on the horse farm also. No, believe it or not, I'm not. I don't. Uh, I'm not a horse guy. Uh, that's <gasps> my girlfriend. She is a expert trainer who has gone through over the last few years some extra training on her part. And, and through a guy that we did some videos for because I occasionally shoot videos for clients. And she's amazing uh, working with horses her whole thing is what's called natural horsemanship where you're not being cruel to the horse. It's thinking how the horse thinks it's all about the horse and almost psychological. It's fascinating to watch her work with these horses and get them to calm down without being cruel to them. A form of cruelty to a horse would be me riding one. (laughs) We've had many friends since I, I moved to, I used to, I lived in downtown Milwaukee for 22 years and then I moved in with her and friends have said, Hey, Catherine, when are you going to teach Ray how to ride a horse? And she says, never. (laughs) And they go, why? Because he'll kill himself. (laughs) I love horses. I've adored horses and I would, I would be riding all day long if I was there. 
I think horses are fascinating because I love looking at their eyes. They're so attention. They're so attentive. They're very sweet creatures and they would kill you without thinking twice about it because uh, they're very big. So um, I Gotta have respect, great respect them. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, and, and I, you know, I, how would I have time for horses? I'm spending my life editing for God's sake. Either that or the band are going to work or hanging out with her or, you know, uh, there's a lot that goes on around here that, you know, I occasionally help out, but uh, they, they do the bulk of it. All right. So back to life between the vines, when you edit, what's your mindset as you're editing? Is it, is it, I video this, I record this and I'm already editing in my head or are you recording everything and anything and then sit down and say, I'm going to edit this. Nope. Got to edit that out. It's refined itself over the years when, you know, cause I'm doing both audio and video when I'm, let's say, for example, I'm in, you know, Sonoma, I've got my camera set up. I'm rolling on everything. I'm rolling on all the audio, but I keep the interview to a certain length because I've learned the length is a big deal. I do podcasts for a lot of my clients. I do probably about six or seven other podcasts. Length is a big deal. Too long and and you're going to lose your, your listener or your viewer. I do edit as I talk to people. It's how my squirrely brain works. I see it in my head. I see sound in my head. It's, it's both a blessing and a curse. So I hear things that I, oh yeah, I got to make sure that it gets in the interview. So I'll cut... I don't run a solid interview. I cut out ums and ahs. We talked about that on the plane. I don't want anybody to look back at what they listen to and feel embarrassed because everybody ums. I think I've probably ummed about 5,000 times already. Um, and there we go right there. 5,001. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. And then video, the videos are shorter. I only run about between five and 10 minutes for each video. The footage is gold for me because I've got tons of footage that I've never used, but I have gone back and used it for other purposes, repurposing it. So that's a real gold mine for me. I've got a hell of a catalog. It's really scary. And it's a lot of craziness keeping track of it. On Monday, we run the full audio podcast and a video. And, and bear in mind, two years with no videos because of COVID. And I don't do the face uh, FaceTime thing for a video. Um, I'll do respect. And then... On Thursday, we run what's called Vino Lingo Video, which is wine words defined by the winemakers, and that's exclusively video. This Thursday will be kind of a music-y video thing to the Abruzzo stuff. It'll be like part two to today's video. So that's how I do those. So I keep it more concise than I did in the beginning. In the beginning, if I could keep somebody in the room for two hours, and then after a while, I realized that they're getting bored and, Mm. and, you know, you don't want to you want to leave anybody with that. So I got to the point where the interviews usually half hour to 45 minutes tops. And then uh, the video gets cut separately. So there's each in-person interview is the full audio podcast, a short video, and then a shorter video. So that's a regular routine I go through. And I try to keep ahead of it as much as I can, which. Uh, that's the trick. That's really the is. trick. <laughs> yeah. So how can people find life between the vines? How do they find you? Social media, website, best place to listen. Sure. What do they do? Well, we have a website, which is lifebetweenthevines.com. That is lifebetweenthevines.com. We are on Facebook as Life Between Vines. We are obviously on YouTube as Life Between the Vines, where we have about 400 videos, give or take. Sign up on the 
website, if you'd like, which again is lifebetweenvines.com, if I didn't mention that. And uh, we're on, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Feedspot, almost anything out there, you can find it. It's, it's really not that hard to find. Usually Googling it is fairly simple, but occasionally you might get the Between the Vines craft site. It's pretty easy to find though, yeah. Or you can just type my name up and it may come up or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then when you listen to it, best thing to do to help any podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review because those stupid algorithms, man, they like the rating and reviewing. So uh, give a listen and subscribe, rate, and review to Life Between the Vines. Yeah. The likes are a big deal. And back to what we said before, when you look at, in my case, my YouTube videos the most, I see the likes on them. I, I just love it. It's great. I mean, when I get into the thousands, it, I freak out over something like that because we're not doing cute kitty cat videos, kitten videos, you know, where they get a million hits. So this is a little more, more specific. So yeah, it's a big deal. It, it really helps all of us podcasters out to like and spread the word, please. Yes, yes. Well, Ray, thank you so much for joining me. And it was so great to see you again. And I hope we get to see each other in real life again soon, maybe on another airplane somewhere. That would be nice. (laughs) But it was great to see you again. And thank you for coming and sharing everything about Life Between the Vines. Thank you very much. I totally enjoyed chatting with you. And I have enjoyed enjoyed chatting with you every time we do. I love your passion and I look forward to doing an interview with you for our podcast. So thank you, Lori. A real pleasure. Thank you. And I don't, I only have water, but it is, you know, I cannot end an episode without saying slancha. So. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. Banana, dark cream, sweet merlot, give me the nappy, you know. Tempranillo, all the lovely Barolo. You are special, so very, very special. You are so special, you even in the Bible. Give me the red, red wine. Give me the white, white wine. Give me the sweet, sweet wine.